If you have a Bible, you should go ahead and turn to the book of Galatians in chapter 1. And then stand with me if you are able for the reading of God's Word. From Galatians 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor by man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are, and sisters who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? For if I was trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would be here this morning. Lord, that you would open up our eyes, that you would give us eyes to see, to see you and to see your gospels as proclaimed in your word. Would you give us ears to hear it? Would you give us soft hearts to be moved by it and to apply it to our lives? And Lord, would the words that are preached be the words of Paul, be the words of you and the words of your word, and would they not be distorted? We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. And you can have a seat. Well, I was really proud because I had just bought a new TV, which is always an exciting moment, at least for me. And this one I bought a 4K TV, so it was supposed to be, you know, four times better than my other TV before. So I was very excited, got a great deal, and got it home and set it up on the wall and turned it on and, you know, put in my best movie that I thought would look the greatest so I could start watching this. But there was a problem. It definitely looked different than my other TV, but it really didn't look better. I thought it looked worse. And it actually, it almost looked like I was watching a soap opera. It just looked so fake. And so then I'm having this internal struggle with myself as I'm watching this to think, well, I sure paid a lot of money for this. And I sure convinced myself that this was better. So obviously, you know, there, maybe this is just what it looks like. Maybe this is better. And I just am so used to bad TV that I just need to, you know, so I'm talking myself into this because I don't want to admit that, you know, I don't have something right or that there's something wrong. And eventually kind of, you know, finally humbled myself or went to look and figured out, well, I did have something wrong. I had some settings on my TV that weren't correct. Something called action smoothening or something or another was on that made my television distorted. So even though it looked fine, it wasn't distorted like TVs used to be, you know, where you're moving the antenna around to try and get a good picture. But it was distorted enough that the picture didn't look right. But once I fixed it, then, you know, then I could bask in the glory of my 4K TV, which I still love very much. Well, just like sometimes we can have settings wrong on our televisions and things can be distorted even though we don't know it, more importantly, we can have our gospel settings distorted. 
We cannot realize that, that we have embraced or that we are hearing or have been preached to gospels that are not actually the gospel of Jesus or the gospel that's revealed in God's word. This is, it's been, the danger is that God's gospel is distorted. It is being distorted everywhere, not just in our culture, outside of these walls, but also inside of church walls all over. And that's not new. This isn't just invented and this happened now because of whatever reason you have. This was an old problem. This is a problem the church in Galatia was having. This is the problem that Paul is addressing. And for the next 10 weeks as we spend our time working through this letter, the reason I've called this series Gospel Distortions is because the gospel is already being distorted there. And so as we look through and as we study this book, we are going to, to try and wrestle with, well, what is a distorted gospel and how many different distortions are there and, well, how do we, how do we deal with this? That's kind of where we're going over these next couple of weeks. But this morning, we're going to look at three different distortions um, that Paul gives us in these first 10 verses. So in your bulletin, your first blank, if you're taking notes, is the warning to don't fall for a distorted gospel. Do not fall for a distorted gospel. Because the book of Galatians, it is all about the gospel. It was one of Martin Luther's favorite books because of that, because it was centered on the gospel. And Paul, he is concerned with the way that the church in Galatia has been brought into a distorted gospel. And he says strongly that, you know, I'm appalled you are so quickly deserting him who called in six and you're turning to a different gospel. And then in seven, the gospel is being distorted. There are some who are trying to change it. And so before we talk about some of these distortions as we unpack them, it's probably a good idea to first talk about, well, what is the true gospel then? Before we talk about what's wrong, let's look at what's right. Because unfortunately, even in churches or pastors, we can get the habit of saying the word the gospel a lot or saying phrases about Jesus and not act. We can allude to the gospel, but we never end up actually preaching and proclaiming what the gospel is. And that's why Paul starts his letter with the gospel. And then he unpacks it in verse 3, where he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a nice Christian greeting to say, Hey, you know, the Lord greets you. He then preaches the gospel in verse 4 and 5. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins. He's pointing to the cross. St. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And, to, and why did he just die there? It wasn't just as a nice example or a cute story. He did it to deliver us from our sins and this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. This is the gospel that the Godhead, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they gathered together before the foundations of the world, already knowing where things were going and hatched a plan for how are we going to save our people. They're going to get stuck in their sins, and they will not be able to get themselves out. How will we get them out? And so Jesus Christ came, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Because justice demands that someone die for sins, and Jesus died the death that we should have died. And God takes the price upon himself, and he does this to deliver us. But then the other verse that reminds us in verse 1, Jesus Christ, who... And God the Father who raised him from the dead. It is not just the cross, it is also the resurrection, which we just celebrated last week at Easter. 
The foundation of our faith is not just that Jesus died, but that He came back. And the resurrection is God's stamp of approval that our sins have been paid for. They have been atoned for and the sacrifice is accepted. There is forgiveness for us. Death did not claim, it tried to claim our God, but it did not keep Him. He defeated it and He won. In the purest and most simple form, this is what the gospel is, is what was accomplished for us in the person of Jesus Christ. But a distorted gospel takes these things and changes it. We'll either change the facts around it or we'll start changing the application and make it about something different. Verse 6, Paul, it, it's unique and interesting in this letter. Usually he begins with some praises for the churches. Even the church in 1 Corinthians. You remember we went through the book of 1 Corinthians last year and there was a lot of, or maybe even two years ago, there was a lot of problems with the church in Corinth. Problem after problem. Even in Corinth, he started with some good things. He started with the positives. He doesn't do so here with the churches in Galatia. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ in six and are turning to a different gospel. This is the problem. And it's serious enough that Paul doesn't have time for niceties or encouragement. He says, you are abandoning the gospel of Christ. And he's astonished by it. How could you do this? And what Paul is saying here, he doesn't mean that they're not Christians anymore. He doesn't mean that they're not calling themselves Christians anymore. That's not what's happening. The churches in Galatia didn't get around and say, ah, man, Jesus, I don't really think he's here for us. Maybe let's not be Christians. Let's go be Jews or let's, let's do something else instead. These, are, you know, these aren't people who just prayed a prayer, walked down an aisle, signed a card, got baptized, and decided to worship a different God instead. These Galatians still believe they're believers. They still think they're following the gospel. They still think that they're Christians. And that's the problem. They don't realize that they are turning to a different gospel as Paul's words here. They believe they're embracing the true gospel, but they have not. They don't even realize what they've done. And in verse 7, Paul says, you know, there, again, there's not another gospel. There's only one. There's only one way to salvation. There's only one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ, through His blood. But there's some who distort it, who appear to preach the gospel, who open up this book, and maybe they even read from it and say they're preaching from it, and then they preach something different. Maybe they use verses of the Bible, or they tell stories from the Bible, or they talk about the God of the Bible, but they are preaching a distorted gospel, and they get it wrong. Part of what makes these distortions so insidious, so damaging and dangerous is often people do not believe or even recognize that they have embraced one. They think they're following Jesus. They think they're just good Christians as they could be, and they don't realize, like the Galatians don't realize, they've embraced a different gospel and they've walked away from Christ, even as they think they're walking with Christ. So the question for us is, well, what is a distorted gospel? I'll give you a couple examples, but there's almost infinite ways to misunderstand anything, but especially Jesus. It's almost like asking, well, what's a distorted gospel? How many different ways can you break a mirror? Or if I hit this mirror with a hammer, how many pieces of glass is it going to fall into? It's, well, a lot. There's a ton of different ways that that can happen. There's a myriad of ways you can misunderstand the gospel. We're going to talk about some of these. And as we'll study the book of Galatians, we're going to see there is actually many ways they have distorted it. I see, some think that the only distortion the church in Galatia has fallen into is just legalism. And while that's partially true, I don't think Paul just gave us this book to warn us of one gospel distortion. 
I think it's a, a deeper thing in here that there are clearly many different Gospels and many distortions that will come beyond the ones being faced here. And we need to be careful and look out for them. So I'm going to give you a couple myriad of ways the gospel can be twisted, and maybe we'll see how many toes I can step on in the meantime. One distortion of the gospel is the idea that the gospel is really just about political power and a culture war. That Jesus just came so that we can be in charge of other people. And we can make sure that other people behave like Christians, whether or not they actually are Christians or not. Who cares just as long as they do the right things. I think the gospel is about that. When you think the gospel is about growing a church so that we can get big and be as big as possible. And that's what Jesus came for because he went bigger is best and big wins. And that's what it's about. It's not about faithfulness. It's not about faithfulness that sometimes leads to death. It's about the biggest. There's the distortion of the gospel that's all about the appearance of righteousness and self-righteousness. We just need to make sure that we look like we're really good and we have it all together and we're really holy. Even if in here we are full of sin and pride and other nonsense no one even sees. But as long as I have the good appearance of it, we're right. That's what the gospel's about. Some who distort the gospel and preach a gospel that hates sinners instead of that loves them and is trying to invite them to follow Jesus. Preach a gospel that just wants to attack them and beat them up and, and demonize them instead of weeping and calling for their repentance. There's the distorted gospel that takes the promises, the unique promises of God that he gave to Israel, his people, and applies them to their own country. And thinks, yeah, see, this is all about us here. This is what this is about. And it doesn't care about the nations. It forgets that God and Jesus came not just for the Jews, not just for his people, but for the Gentiles and for people everywhere. There's a distorted gospel that thinks, well, you know, Jesus, yeah, he's God and he's good, but he's really just one God. He's really just one option. And there's other ways you could get there too, because that's how great Jesus is. He died for your sins, but it doesn't even matter if you embrace him or not. He'll save you anyway. That is a distortion. There's a, a distortion of the gospel that thinks Jesus really just came for social justice alone. You know, it's not really just about your, your actual sins. We just need to learn how to be nicer to each other. And he came to bring justice and that's it. It's not about our own actual sins. There's another distortion that thinks, well, Jesus really just came and the gospel is all about our individual sins and it really doesn't matter how we treat each other at all. And God doesn't care about justice. We can just kind of do what we want as long as we repent individually. There's a distortion of, that takes the gospel of Jesus and makes Jesus just a self-help guru who's here to give us good tips, help us be better, have better relationships and be better at our work or maybe feel better about ourselves, make us more mentally healthy. There's the gospel that makes it all about prosperity and wealth and health and Jesus died for our sins so he can make us rich and good and make our lives awesome. There's a distortion that thinks, well, really, the gospel is just about me and Jesus, and it's my relationship with God, and, and that's it, and, and fails to recognize that Jesus came to save the world and to create a community and a kingdom of God, and we're baptized into a family. It's not just you and him. It's also all of us together. But there's also a gospel that thinks maybe Jesus just came for groups and systems, and it really doesn't matter if you individually repent of your sins or not, because we're just all saved. And on and on and on and on it goes. Those are just... A, handful of the distortions, some of which we'll see in this book. The problem is our hearts, we naturally drift towards distorting the gospel. We don't stay anchored and tethered to Jesus and to the true gospel without divine help. 
even if you notice, maybe you have this sometimes when you're reading, if you just take a look at your Bible or your bulletin and you just kind of stare at one place and let your mind wander a bit, all of a sudden the words start to kind of get distorted, right? If you don't focus, if you aren't intentionally moving your eyes and your brain and your attention, then the words get distorted and fade. And then when you decide, oh, I got to read again, you have to blink and kind of shake your head and, and work hard. Okay, now I'm focused. The same thing happens when it comes to the gospel with our hearts, that we have to make sure that our hearts are intentionally focused on the gospel of Jesus. We have to keep them awake and aware because they tend to go and chase other things and other distortions. But how can we do this? How can we, you know, not fall for false gospels? How can we protect our hearts? If there's so many distortions, what can we do? Well, I think we should be intentional about studying the gospel. There are some who think, well, okay, since there's so much, maybe what we should be do is we should become heresy experts. We should study all these other distortions, or we should even study these other religions, and maybe that's how we should spend our time so we can better figure out what the gospel is. You know, I don't think you need to go take to Cameron and, you know, go to Cameron and take a class on world religions. You could. That wouldn't necessarily be bad. I don't think you have to start diving deep into all the different heretical teachers that are out there necessarily so you can learn to spot something wrong with the gospel. I think we can just study God's Word and the true gospel. Those are the, there's nothing wrong with those other things, but that's not the key. The key is to understand what the true gospel is. So then when you hear something that's different, alarm bells go off in your head because you go, wait a second, that doesn't sound like what I know and what I believe. It's actually interesting, right? You've probably heard some of this before. It's how the people are trained to spot counterfeit currency. As you train, to, well, don't just study the counterfeits, study our actual currency and look at that, and then you'll recognize what's counterfeit. I heard preachers say that so often, and usually I'm, I'm suspicious and I wonder, because preachers, sometimes we can say things and not really recognize it. Well, that's not actually true. It's kind of a preacher story. But so I looked into this, and it actually seems to be true. You can even go to the U.S. Currency's website, and they will teach you how to do this online. I spent, you know, longer than I would care to admit, but it was sermon prep, so it was a good time, Right? <laughs> And so they'll show you, and you can look at all the different security features that are on our currency, that there are all these different things, some of which I knew of, some of which I had never seen before or recognized, and say, here, there are these five things that you need to look at on the one and the five and the 20 and the 100. And if you look at these things, then when you look at some fake currency, you just have to go check these places. And if something's not there or something's different, you know, ah, this is counterfeit. And they even have a test you can take after that, which... I did pretty well with not, you know, <laughs> practicing that much. Right, but it's just like that with the gospel, I think. I don't think we have to go into study all of the distortions. We need to go and study what are the key features of the gospel? What is the gospel really about? You don't need to study heresy. You should go study the apostles of the Nicene Creed. Study the teachings of the church and the apostles have always given us. They, they're our guardrails. They're like our security features that teach us what is and isn't true. The Apostles' Creed is, you know, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Virgin Mary, born of the Holy Spirit, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead, but on the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. 
Amen. That is the gospel. Those words are intentional and meaningful. And if you start changing any of those words, or you start interpreting those words to mean something different than what the apostles or the church has believed since Pentecost, you are distorting the gospel. So why, you know, why do I like the creeds? Not just because I like old things, but because it, it helps. It's the guardrails and the security that know, wow, you wait, you started to change a word. You don't believe in the resurrection of the body anymore. That's pretty important. Now I need to go look. So don't fall for a distorted gospel. But one of the main ways we fall for a distorted gospel is from distorted teachers. So my point number two is don't fall for distorted teachers. Don't fall for distorted teachers. There are people who seem to teach the gospel, but have got it all twisted. And that's what happens to the church in Galatia. There are individuals who have come there after Paul has come and gone, and they're teaching them something different. In verse 7, Paul has some individuals in mind, though he doesn't name them. He says, there are some who trouble you, who want to distort the gospel of Christ. And we might ask, you know, who are these, who these teachers are? And we're going to see this more in weeks to come, and we'll talk about it a little bit on Wednesday night. If you come back then, we'll go a little deeper into Galatians 1. Um, but some of these teachers, uh, the brief thing is these teachers appear to be Jewish Christians who say that they have embraced the gospel, but what they really want is they want the Galatian believers and these Gentiles to come and be Jews. They want them to, to become circumcised, to follow the law of Moses, and, and to act like good Jews do. Yeah, you can be a Christian, but here's these other things you need to do too. Make sure you follow this list. In simple words, they're legalists. They've got a big list of rules that need to be followed. And what Paul says is they are preaching a different gospel. And we can shake our heads at them today because it's really easy because we're not tempted very often to want to follow all the laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But we all do have our own list today, even if we don't recognize it. We're tempted to always go in above and beyond the clear commands of God and add our own rules or our own convictions and think, well, I really think this is what God wants me to do, even though God's Word is a little vague. So also, you need to do it too, or you're not really a Christian. Say things like, well, if you're a Christian, you definitely can't drink alcohol, or you can't watch R-rated movies, or maybe you can't watch movies at all, because I'm going to add, I'm going to go beyond what others do. If you're a Christian, you really got to vote for my political party, red or blue, or whatever other color, or maybe not vote. Or if you're really a Christian, you got to only listen to Christian music, and on and on and on the list it goes. You can add whatever you want to that. And we all are tempted to do so. Suddenly becoming a Christian, it's not really about Jesus, it's not about the gospel, it's not about the faith that is true in every single culture, on every single nation, throughout time and eternity in every place. It becomes about following Jesus the way that you do in your culture, in your context, at your time. It's not really about Jesus anymore, now it's suddenly about you this is the trap the Galatians fell into. And Paul has strong words for these preachers, and not just for these preachers in Galatia, but for any who would do this in any way, not just legalism, but for any who would distort the gospel. He says in 9, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Okay, accursed, that's kind of a, we don't really use that a lot um, in our our weeks, maybe you have been accursing people. Um, I don't know, but I don't usually do that. But what Paul is saying is he, he is saying, let them be cursed. 
He's using strong language. He is saying, you know, God D them. I'm not going to finish that, but that, that's what he's saying here in this, strongly. He doesn't say they should be corrected. He doesn't say confront them. He says, curse them. If anyone preaches a gospel contrary to the one you received, let them be cursed. And he goes further in verse 8. For even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. It says even if an angel pops up in front of you miraculously, even if an angel comes and is working miracles, even then make sure what they tell you does not distort the gospel. Not just the angel. And Paul himself includes them in this list. He wants to, he's telling them, hey, make sure that I myself am not preaching to you anything other than what Jesus himself proclaimed. Saying, don't trust me above other people. Don't trust even the, the apostles necessarily. It is about the gospel. The gospel is the highest standard. But so how do we evaluate teachers? How, how should we judge and evaluate preachers? Do we just evaluate them based on how charismatic or gifted they are? How big their churches are. He's got a big church. He must be good. He must have got something right. Based on how large their following is or how many books they've written. Paul says, evaluate them based on the gospel. Do they preach to you what you've already received from Jesus through the Holy Spirit, through the work of the apostles? Because even if lots of other stuff is true, it does not matter if they distort the gospel. It does not matter how charismatic they are. It doesn't matter how nice they are. It doesn't matter how loving they are. It doesn't matter how interesting they are. If they don't get the gospel right, let them be accursed. And Paul seems to give a warning, too, that even angels could appear and distort the gospel. That should give us pause. Is that strange? But I think he appears to be referencing to fallen angels or demons who were angels once appearing putting on the appearance of angels, all right? And they could come and even appear to preach about Jesus, but they distort it. There are even some, and will be more in the future, there are other religions that are based on the appearance of angels who come and proclaim things about Jesus, but wait, it's not really Jesus. It is distorted. Even if an angel comes to you, that doesn't mean you've got to accept it. It means you go back to God's Word and you go back to the creeds and you go back to what the apostles taught and what Jesus said and think, well, angel, actually Jesus said something different, so I'm not sure I have to believe you. We always need to check. And this can be difficult because there are a lot of people who distort the gospel, but they get a lot of really good theology right. And usually by good theology, we mean like our, our favorite kind of pet theology thing, the this, this stuff that we're really interested in. They're on our team, they're on our tribe, so they must be good, right? Well, not always. We have to use discernment. I can think of, and it's easy to pick on them, but rightfully so. They're distorting the gospel. I can think of prosperity gospel preachers. There are those who have distorted the gospel to make it all about success and wealth. And they'll, but they'll say, yes, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and he was crucified and was dead and was buried, and Jesus raised him up. And it was so you can get salvation. And that all says, and then they add, and... It's also died to make you rich and to heal your disease. And if you just have enough faith and if you give me some money, God is going to bless you. It's a distortion. It doesn't matter that they got a lot right in the beginning if then at the end they start changing what the gospel really is about. 
But sometimes you could listen to them and they might even give a good sounding gospel presentation. I've heard it. I've been in some of these places and churches. I'd listen to one. I had to stop and think, well, wait a second. They didn't actually add any prosperity gospel there today. That sounded really good. Man, what do, what do I do with that? That's confusing. Well, getting their gospel right in one moment or at one point doesn't make all of the other distortions. Okay, it makes it more dangerous. We have to be more discerning than that. We, so how can we avoid falling for distorted preachers? Well, first of all, it's probably a good idea to just start and assume that you're going to fall for one. I think it's good to just assume that you have already and probably will again in the future fall for a distorted gospel, and particularly because there's a preacher that you like or a teacher that you like who is preaching a distorted one and you haven't noticed yet, or that at some point you will get fooled and miss it, or even that some who preached it and proclaimed it rightly once, then after some time went on, suddenly started changing and shifting, and then you realize years down the road, wait, they've been proclaiming a distorted gospel, or they'll abandon it. I think that if we assume, well, I'm not going to fall for distorted preachers because I'm a really strong, mature believer. That's what other fools do. That's what people who go to that church over there, because that's not a good church. So obviously they're going to fall for a bad gospel, but not me. Not me. I, I, I study. I read. I'm smart. That would never happen to me. Well, I think that's when we're probably most likely to fall for something. I think it's better if we can just assume, you know what? I I'm human. I'm sinful. My heart does not naturally trend towards Jesus. It goes away from Him. So it's likely at some point in my life, I might get fooled for some amount of time. If you admit that, then you can be more prepared to be discerning, at least for me. Because I've been fooled. I've fallen for distorted preachers. I've fallen for preachers, so I didn't even realize we're prosperity guys until I got a little further on. I've fallen for teachers who were great and were good, and then later, uh, suddenly things kind of started to shift, and I couldn't put my finger on it, didn't know what it is, and then years and years go by, and then, ah, oh, wow, they were preaching a distorted gospel. Wow, they were an abuser. They were abusing their power to mistreat people. Of course, now suddenly I understand why some things didn't work the way that they did. It's probably happened to all of us. Or I've even, I've embraced distortions of the gospel. I didn't even realize were distortions until years later when God and the Holy Spirit opened my eyes. I thought, wow, I thought the gospel was about that, but it's, it's not about that. I missed it. Only if we're willing to admit that we could get things wrong like the Galatians and we're not perfect and we're, we're working and trying to be more and more like Jesus, then I think we can better prepare ourselves to not fall for distorted teachers. But so how do we do that? Well, the best example, we should be like the Bereans in Acts 17.11. Paul and Acts, or Luke and Acts says, The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with all eagerness. So they actually, too, they're not sitting there with a defensive posture. They're receiving, they're listening to Paul, listening to the apostles, intentionally writing it down, taking notes, and then they examine the Scriptures daily to see if it was so. I thought, yeah, that was awesome. That was great. I'm listening, listening. And now I'm going to go back home. I'm going to read it again some more. I want to make sure that that really is what I thought it is. Let me make sure nothing has been distorted. That's what we need to do today. That's what you should do today. Later, when most of the words from my sermon have faded from your brain, go back and read Galatians 1 again. And see if some of it still sounds true. Study it. Pray over it. Search it for yourself. Examine His Word and see if it's right or if something's different, it doesn't match. Reject what is distorted. 
This is one of the many reasons we read the whole passage of Scripture that I'm preaching every single week, because I want you to see the Scripture for yourself. I want you to see, if, well, am I really saying what's in here, or is there other stuff? So I encourage you to read the passage ahead of time so you can come on Sunday kind of expecting what you should be hearing about. And then read it again to double check. Well, did I hear what I thought I was going to hear and what is in here? So I want you to be, you should be trained to look for distorted teaching. You should be able to see things in Scripture that I'm saying. Even if you didn't see it before and came with it, well, I wonder what he's going to talk about. And then you got it, especially in Daniel, which was difficult. You should then leave and say, ah, now I see it. I couldn't see it before, but it's clear, and now I get it. There are times when you, you go, you hear some preachers, and they say stuff, and you go, man, I don't know where they got that, and I'm looking again, and I just don't see it. And we can be tempted to go, well, they're smarter than me. Maybe they, they got degrees. Maybe they figured it out. Well, if you can't find it in there, it might not be there. That's why we have to check the Word. And it's not just for minor issues, right? It's not making sure you agree with me everywhere, because I can tell you all the time, you're allowed to disagree with me about plenty. But you are not allowed to disagree with me about the gospel. You cannot. I mean, you can come, we're welcome to have you here, but we, we are going to butt heads if you don't embrace the gospel. And I want you to come so that you can repent and embrace it and find true faith in Jesus. We cannot disagree. We can disagree about a lot of things, right? We talk about that as a church. We're here because we're focused on the essentials, and nothing is more essential than the gospel. That is what we are about. And some even, these distorted preachers, if you listen closely, they don't even preach the gospel. They might allude to the gospel. They might even say the word, the gospel, a few times. They might talk about Jesus, but they never even actually preach about Jesus. If Jesus didn't die on the cross and wasn't actually raised from the dead for their sins, it wouldn't actually make a difference in anything they said in their sermon. It wouldn't change the application or anything that you've learned or heard. Some sermons are just general wisdom and life tips or interesting stories that inspire us and make us feel good. You have to be careful because even that can be a distortion of, well, it's distorting the gospel because it's assuming you don't need to hear it that often. You got it. You're good. Every week in, in my sermon prep, one of the things that I ask myself is, is this a Christian sermon? Is this really about Jesus? If a non-believer walked in the room, if we had a visitor and I don't know if they're saved, am I going to have to stop and add something to my sermon because the gospel's not in it yet? And some weeks I, I fail at it, some weeks I'm better than others, but each week I want to be sure that at Tanglewood Bible Fellowship we continue as we always have been to be a church that proclaims and preaches the gospel. Not just on Easter, not just on Christmas, but every single week we proclaim the true gospel of Jesus. Not just with an altar call at the end as we add something in, which we don't do here, but that it permeates our music, that it permeates our call to worship and our benediction, that everything we do in every room in this place is filled with the gospel. So that's what we do with others. Well, what about ourselves? What we can do with our own lives. Well, our, our third point in verse 10, is that don't seek distorted approval. Don't seek distorted approval. Paul ends this section by explaining himself and challenging us. In verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? For if I'm trying to please man, if I were trying to please man, I wouldn't serve Jesus. I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. The reality is that distortions of the gospel is just seeking the approval of man. That's what all of them do. Telling you what Deep down in your sinful heart, you want to hear. 
But correctly ordered approval, it only seeks the approval of God. It doesn't care what man thinks. It is doing things that please God and God alone. It doesn't mean, well, I'm not seeking the approval of man, so now I'm going to go be a jerk to everybody. That's not what Paul is saying. What he is clearly saying is we need to seek the approval of God and God alone. We cannot just be man-pleasers. So let's talk about distorted approval. One of the reasons we distort the gospel is we're seeking the approval of man, right? Because what this implies is proclaiming the gospel doesn't please people. The gospel is a stumbling block. The gospel is offensive and the gospel hurts. The gospel doesn't lead to approval from the culture or the world. right? The gospel proclaims we are all sinners from birth, by nature and by choice. That we've fallen short of the glory of God and we're destined to eternal punishment, which is exactly what we deserve and is justice. And without the grace of God, that's where all of us are heading. And people don't like to hear that because who would? That is not good news. I don't like when the doctor tells me something's wrong with me. I don't want to believe him. How much more do we not want to hear that something is wrong with our souls? The gospel doesn't lead to man's approval because it's also miraculous. We believe that God came down to earth. We believe in the Trinity. We'd like to ignore the Trinity because many of us, if we're honest, we barely understand it. But it's true. We proclaim it. We believe that Jesus was born to a virgin. He was truly God and truly man. And he did this so he could live a perfect life and be our mediator. He could take us back to the garden to be right with God again. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And he was resurrected and brought back to life. These are all miraculous statements, and they're not optional. They are core to our faith. Usually when someone asks me, well, do you really believe, you know, this? And it's usually, do you really believe God says we can't do, you know, this? That God says I can't do whatever I want with my life? I don't like that. And it's like, well, you know what? I believe a lot crazier stuff than that. Okay, let me tell you, let me tell you about the God who came down and was man and yet was God. So there three persons in the tree. Let me tell you about the Jesus who died for you and then came back to life. He wasn't just pretending. I believe in way crazier stuff. Let me really blow your mind. But there's a temptation at moments for us to hold back on the gospel. Even as preachers can feel this, and I myself have felt the weight of the gospel, especially at a funeral or when you know there's unbelievers in the room. And I've had to do funerals, and I know that not everyone there knows Jesus. I've got to make the decision, well, am I going to preach the gospel clearly, or am I going to try and distort it and pretty it up? And there's one thing to try and explain it in a way unbelievers can understand and not, you know, just be mean and try and make it attractive and beautiful. But there's a a temptation then to blunt the edges. Well, maybe I won't talk about sin then. Ah, Maybe we'll go over the resurrection. Maybe we'll skip the resurrection. No. If we're seeking the approval of man, we're going to miss Jesus and we're going to miss the gospel. But we might be tempted too to think the gospel only offends non-believers. Well, the gospel just offends people who aren't in church this morning, right? Because here, no, we could never be offended by the gospel here. Well, the gospel doesn't just offend them. I think the gospel also offends us. It certainly offends the church in Galatia. They don't want to hear it. The church often rejects the gospel. We reject it in a number of ways. We reject it when we're bored by it and we want something else. Why are you preaching the gospel again, Pastor? Can you preach something more exciting? I read a, a pastor... In the last couple of weeks, who, who wanted a woman came to him and was like, you know, like you're great and all, but I really wish you would just stop preaching the gospel so much. 
you know, I'm just, I, you know, that's, that's just milk, and I really want meat. I want the deep things of God, right? We want our ears tickled, and we hear ear tickling, and we think it's TV preachers instead of, but really for some of us, it's we want to hear Greek words and background, and we want to learn stuff we haven't learned before. We want meat. The gospel is not milk. The gospel is the meat. The gospel is the bread, and the gospel is the cup. The gospel is the water, and it is the very air in our lungs that we breathe. The gospel is not the beginning. The gospel is everything. If hearing the gospel, and you, if you hear the gospel and you walk away hungry, that is a problem with you and your soul. Because the gospel is the only thing that sustains any of us. Also, we don't like to hear the gospel even in churches because the gospel confronts us about our sins. That confronts our distortions of the gospel. And pastors know, we talk about this, we don't like to admit it often, but pastors know that there are things that we can preach about and there are things that we cannot preach about. In every context and in every place, we know there are some kind of sins, there are some idols that I can't touch. Or if I touch, I've got to be ready for them to get rid of me or for people to leave because it's going to make them angry. And we can preach about others idols, right? We know the other idols we can do. The people who aren't in this room, we can attack their idols and we'll all amen and clap. But if we start preaching on our own idols, then the temperature goes up in the room. We can't seek distorted approval to only seek the approval of God, not just for pastors, but for us. And all throughout the Bible, we see over and over God's people really didn't like the prophets very much. They rejected them and they killed them. But we can't be servants of Christ if we want to please people. And this is a question for us to ask as well. Whose approval at the end of the day do you really want? Do you want the approval of your neighbors, your co-workers? All of us want to be liked. None of us want to be hated or mistreated. But at the end of the day, would you rather be approved by man or by God? The approval of man will fade. It is as fading and as faint and as vaporous as high school popularity, which seemed really important in the moment. Man, when I finally got it that last year, I just felt like I was on the mountaintop and I'd finally made it after being a weird homeschooled kid. Here it is. I've got it. Now people like me. Woohoo. And then I went to college and no one knew and cared who I was anymore. <laughs> and all that work just poof, fades away. Whose approval do you want? The, the approval of man that fades or do you want the approval of God? that lasts through eternity. Because one day all that approval of man will disappear. For the approval of God is eternal. How do we get that approval? Well, let me tell you, we get that approval through the gospel of Jesus. By the blood of Christ, He makes us clean. And now we can be approved of by God. Not because we're so cool, not because we're so obedient, but because of the obedience of Jesus. We can stand in the presence of God without fear of being killed by His holiness because of Jesus. Do not get it distorted. So this morning we've talked about we, we need to not fall for a distorted gospel. We need to not fall for distorted preachers. And we also need to not fall or seek distorted approval. Don't get it distorted. Cling to the undistorted gospel of Jesus. Cling to the gospel because it is our only hope in life and in death. 
I'm going to pray and invite our worship team to come back up and lead us in one more song. Lord, I ask that you would help us and you would aid us to cling to the gospel. Lord, there's a temp- there can be a temptation even here and now to preach this and to make it a legalistic gospel or not the gospel. That can make us think that we have to put something else on our to-do list. To do, to do things in order to make you love us. Lord, we recognize we need to cling to the gospel, but in our own strength, we can't do it unless your Holy Spirit comes and aids us and helps us. It drags us limping along to the cross. Would you, Jesus? Lord, we want to be a people who do not distort the gospel. Confront our hearts, confront our eyes, open our eyes to the ways that we have distorted it and embrace distorted thinking. And help us to be a church and a people and individuals who cling to the true gospel of Jesus and nothing else. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand as we worship our Savior one more time. Amen. He is the King of Kings. So hear this benediction from the King of Kings over you. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.